first time with long-time home buyers, sellers, and investors. I'm your host, Mikey T, personal home consultant, builder, investor, homeowner, and licensed real estate agent. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at First Timers Podcast Show. Today, we're going to talk about fix and flip loans for investors commonly known as hard money loans, as well as other funding options for those looking to invest into real estate. I have some great guests here, Christian Pepe and Anthony Palmiato of First Equity Funding. Christian is Managing Director of First Equity Funding, and he's also the Branch Manager at Paramount Residential Mortgage Group, located right here in Seager. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Happy to be here. No problem. All right. If you want to follow them right now, you can go to First Equity Funding on Instagram and Facebook. So before we get into hard money lending and all these other options... For uh, a lot of the first-time investors, I want to learn, um, you know, what brought you into uh, Christian into hard money lending, and uh, what brought you guys into to the mortgage field into hard money lending. How did that all end up happening? Sure. Yeah. Just I'll, I'll start. Uh, so you know, my background has been in traditional lending for the past 15 years. You know, originally my main focus was more in you know Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA type type lending, which we still do to this day. Uh, but around the time of the the collapse, you know, when the when the bubble kind of uh, bursted and, and real estate really went went downhill. You know, I guess in around like the two 2008, 2009 uh-huh. time period, uh, you know, we realized that there was a very, very big disconnect. You know, once the market was kind of working through all that stuff, there was obviously tremendous opportunity for investors to be able to come in and buy things at very discounted, uh, discounted rates. But financing was something that was really, really tough to come by. You know, uh, because of all the downturn, the traditional lenders just wanted nothing to do with that type of lending, and, and still, quite honestly, don't really have an appetite for investors or an appetite for properties that are in distress. So we realized that you were either a cash buyer or you were kind of on the on the sidelines. So what we you know really did was we created a fund and raised capital um, to basically put money to work for investors that were you know able to buy properties you know able to buy properties as is. Uh, able to buy properties where we could finance the construction as well. And we just kind of took more of a logical sense in in underwriting without all the red tape of, you know, documenting tax returns and, and all the little nuanced stuff that goes on with more traditional lending. Yeah. Uh, and we were able to kind of look more at the asset itself. You know, people use the term hard money lending. You know, to me, I don't love that term because hard money, you know, traditionally, if you go back, you know, 15, 20 years, kind of has the connotation of being more bailout type lending, but uh-huh. but in today's terminology, hard money, I think, as people are using it today, really means more lending for investors and, and hard in the sense that they're just not focusing on all the nuances and focusing a little bit more on the asset itself. Does the project make sense? Is there money to be made for this investor? So that's kind of how you know it came to be from from you know from my standpoint. You know, I'll switch it to Anthony. He's got a little bit of a of a different background, more on the real estate side. All right, let us know. Yeah, so I've uh, I've touched real estate really in every which way. I started off actually property management, managing an apartment building. And then soon after, I got into uh, into brokerage, selling big apartment complexes. And I did that, and, and, and still do that to an extent um, for for a long time. So learn the you know the real estate business that way. And then a few years ago, I met um, met Christian and the guys here at First Equity, and he was kind of explaining to me at the time, you know, about how there's kind of a void in the market, right? So there's all these people who want to do fix and flips. Whether they're seasoned vets or they're first-time investors, they don't really have access to financing to do this type of stuff. So. Um, they were just really starting to grow pretty quickly at that point, so I decided to hop on board and, and get involved. And um, 
you know, it's, it's been a great decision because we've been able to help so many investors, whether it's yeah. their very first deal or it's their sixth deal this month, you know, and everything <laughs> in between, help them yeah. get financed and get these, get these projects going. Yeah, and that's what's great about these, uh, these loans is that you don't need to be perfect in every sense to get it. And it's a, it's a little more obtainable for people that are trying to get into flipping and investing and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think the product's great as long as you know what you're doing and you get a little education behind it. Sure, sure. Um, so hopefully we could give some education today for those looking to get into it and uh, then, you know, they at least have a stepping stone to move forward because you go on the internet, there's so much out there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so much better when you're hearing it from somebody. So let's get into what exactly is um, a hard money like loan. Like, uh, so I mean, one. Just, just put real simply, rather than like Christian alluded to, you know, your traditional financing where we're underwriting the borrower first and foremost, this is almost the opposite. We're really underwriting the asset. Now, obviously, there's certain qualifications the borrower has to have. You know, there's some credit requirements and some liquidity requirements, but generally speaking, we're looking at the project itself. Does this project make sense? If you buy it for this and you're going to invest this much money into it and, and you could sell it for this, it, does that make sense to us from a lending perspective? And if it does, that's, that's typically something we want to move forward with. So I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, sure. And then, I mean, just to, to add on top of it, you know, how much we'll lend, what down payment we require, what interest rates we offer, you know, experience is the, is the biggest thing for us. So we absolutely yeah. will lend to newer investors, but, you know, we may just want to see a little bit more, you know, use the term skin in the game, a little bit more down payment for somebody who is their first go around as opposed to somebody who maybe has done a, a bunch of these deals. But the nice thing is, you know, is we're trying to grow with investors and, you know, we, we're really starting to see it now. I mean, Anthony, especially with a lot of his clients that, you know, just repeatedly are coming back over and over again. And we're watching people create real wealth by, you know, investing in, investing in real estate. And it's just, you know, great to kind of be a part of it when you know that either people wouldn't be able to do it at all or yeah. wouldn't be able to do it at the scale that they're doing it with the use of our financing. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you guys have uh, a unique experience also in hard money lending because you were a part of some of these fix and flips early on. Sure. So, I mean, for your company, not every company, but for your company, you have some, some, some knowledge there that could help out those first time yeah, that's investors. yeah, that's that's really well said. Um, that's you know kind of our tagline that we kind of say is that you know we've been in your shoes. We've definitely done this type of investing ourselves. Um, you know, when it started out, we got involved in purchasing non-performing assets when all these bad loans and, and the, like I said, when the when the market was collapsing, we were buying NPLs or non-performing loans at discounted rates, and we were doing foreclosure workouts and short sales, deed and lose, and we were acquiring a lot of properties. and And kind of by default, we became flippers in the sense <laughs> that we were taking back these properties and just realized that by putting work into them, making them turnkey, you were gonna you know get a, get more money out of it. So um, so yeah, so by default, we kind of became flippers, but. But, uh, but over you know the past six or seven years, you know myself, I've managed forty to fifty fix and flip type projects. We've done a fair. We have a construction division where we've done a lot of ground up construction locally, a lot of higher end ground up spec homes in, in the Jersey Shore area. So you know I say that you know and bring it up because I really think you know we we get it from their perspective. We're not just a lender. We're not just throwing money out there. I think we're we're value added in the sense that if you are a newer flipper, we can kind of handhold you. I mean, listen, we're not ever going to tell anybody what to do exactly per se. I mean, it's their project, but we're a second set of 
applies or, you know, if we've come across some things where we've gotten jammed up, I, th- I think it's helpful to kind of kind of talk about those things. Definitely. Yeah, you, you just, yeah, and on top of the fact that they've got the new construction experience, they've done 40, 50 flips in, in recent years. Um, we help our borrowers manage, you know, the eviction process in certain cases if, if that's something they're up against. I've got a lot of experience in multifamily and commercial real estate. So, you know, we really have experience, you know, in all aspects of, of real estate, which we can apply to this particular business. So, you know, there are, there's, there's many people who try to do hard money lending, but um, I don't think there's many out there who you know have the breadth of experience that, that we do. No, and, and that's something that I was going to get into a little later, like uh, I guess like some tips with f- finding hard money people because they're, you don't notice how many hard money people are, there are until you're in that arena and then yeah. you go, wow, it's like you don't notice how many real estate agents there are until you yeah. become a real estate agent. Yeah. You know, you want to become a home inspector? There's a million home inspectors now. Sure. So when you're in there in that arena looking for that stuff, you notice a lot of people in that field. And there's people that are just there for straight up money and they're really giving no other value than here's the check, just follow sure. this criteria. Right. And for people looking to get into that, I think if if you're comparing nickels to nickels and everyone's pretty close with their rates, sure. I think, um, from my experience talking to people. So when you're comparing that, you have to go like one level deeper and saying, what else can this company give me? That's more than just cutting the check mm-hmm. in 10 days or 15 days. You know what I mean? And for you guys, what's awesome is that you guys have that experience. So you know exactly what everybody's going through is their first few flips. Sure. Um, now, are there different I – mean, since you, you're, you're also a branch manager, you're, you have access to other funding options. Sure. Um, do you ever suggest for people that are doing maybe a, maybe a little bit more of a buy and hold and then they're going to flip – to do something more conventional, like a two or three K rental sure, and stuff sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, listen. To to be clear, I mean the the hard money lending that we do is mainly geared towards investors. So, yeah. and we definitely get that question and those things that come up a lot. If people are looking to do this for their owner occupied purpose, then the two or three K or a more traditional loan program definitely uh, makes more more sense. And you know, not to get off on a on a tangent on that, but there's tremendous value in my opinion for people to be able to to do that with the two or three K. I no, mean, definitely. You know, because it's like you either, you know, you're either stuck buying a turnkey property that a flipper brings to the market, which is great. You're going to get exactly what you want. And I say, you know, this market kind of is teed up perfectly from both ends of the spectrum. There's an opportunity for investors to make money by flipping a home, but there's real value in it for that end buyer, too. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, most people, you know, husband and wife, two people working they don't have that time or, you know, maybe ability to do the, you know, the fixer up. So they want that turnkey. But for the people who do, you know, they can absolutely maybe bid higher than what an investor would bid on a property. And they don't need to make that as big of a return, you know, and and using a two or three K loan or something where you can finance those costs definitely makes a ton of sense. Um, But, you know, with that aside, um, we definitely, there's definitely some longer term, you know, loan programs. We actually offer them too on the first equity side. So some rental products. I mean, nothing's going to compete. So people will use our product either as a fix and flip or a bridge loan, so to speak, in terms of getting from point A to point B. So what what I mean by that is, you know, let's take a multifamily, for instance. It's very hard to get traditional bank financing from a community bank if it's completely vacant and need work because they're looking at the cash flow on that property. Does that property have the ability to self-sustain its own debt? So a lot of investors will use us to do the work to get it going. Once they get the tenants in, then they'll take us out with a longer 
longer term bank loan once the property's stabilized. Yeah. And, and we're starting to see that happen on the one to four families too, where, you know, people are kind of starting to underwrite these assets more as like a commercial kind of product mm-hmm. and more about the rent roll than looking at the person's individual debt to income ratio. So yeah. I always tell people, listen, if you, once you have a tenant in there, if you could qualify for that Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan, nothing is going to beat it. You're going to get that 30 year fixed interest rate. You're going to get the lowest rates available, but still a lot of people as they're building out their real estate portfolio, you know, if they're writing off certain things on their tax returns, they have various LLCs, they have all these things going on. I mean, what I've seen on the investor side in the, in the conventional world, the fallout on those loans getting approved is extremely, extremely high. Yeah, definitely. So, so we've tried to come up with like a hybrid product where, you know, it's we it's a 30-year fixed loan. Borrowers can keep the property in the name of an LLC. And that's really, you know, that's something Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac won't let you do. So that's yeah. really important. Um, and we focus, you know, we look a little bit more on credit score on that product because it's a longer-term product. But it's really just more about does the rent support the debt? And if it does, we can give them a 30 year fixed loan. You know, rates are probably, I'd say on average, 100 basis points higher, like maybe one point higher if you're going to get, you know, and don't, you know, lock me in on APR and everything yeah, right yeah. now. But I mean, just generally speaking, if you're at 5% on a 30 year fixed conventional loan for an investment product, you know, maybe you're in the, the low sixes on a, on a 30 year fixed kind That's of product. Still an excellent uh, so. product. It is. It is. And it's just, yeah. it's the it's the fact that they could actually get approved for it is, yeah. the, is the big thing. Yeah, because there's a lot of bu- like uh, small business owners that can't get approved for uh, for homes for themselves. Sure. And, um, you know, one of the one of the ways that this would help them a lot is that they can look at a two, three, four family, get a house, put it in their LLC. Yep. And now at least they own an asset. Right. Absolutely. Where before, I mean, there's some people that are just forever renting because of that. And most, you know, a lot of contractors, small business owners, they don't want to show what they're making. Sure. So their W-2 never shows what they really yeah. made. This, this product is perfect for them. Yeah. And one of the other things that, that I've noticed is um, because the fix and flip market now is, is so competitive, the margins have gotten squeezed a little bit. And so it might be a little harder now to find really good home run deals on the fix and flip side. But if you're not looking to fix and flip, maybe fix and hold and rent that property out, it may be a great cash flow property from that, that regard. Yeah. So to fix it up and then refinance it into one of these 30-year you know, no-doc loans, essentially, uh, we've been seeing you know that strategy a lot more recently, too. Yeah, I think you're right. The, the fix and flip market especially in Jersey it's it's become yeah it's, it's, it's gotten a little little crazy you have to really know your numbers um, pretty well and know your rental costs really well mm-hmm, no doubt yeah. because uh, you could go off really fast and that that's what I try to tell people all the time like really dive in and get your numbers close because you're talking you know a couple percentage points and now you're losing money because you have to pay someone to sell you have holding costs you have all these costs yeah so there is risk there it's it's not like uh what you see on hgtv and doesn't happen in 30 minutes it certainly doesn't we always say there's kind of you know three things that you need to look at i mean it's your construction costs it's your timelines and then your resale value. You know, those yeah. are the those are the three things that I think are you know most important that everybody has needs to look at. And, and usually one of those might go astray, but you know you just get, gotta make sure that it doesn't all kind of fall out of line. Yeah, everything doesn't the, go uh, off like yeah, this. Yeah. Now, what type of properties are these loans good for? 
Yeah, so generally speaking, um, I mean, the, the bulk of our business obviously is the single family fix and flips, but um, that fix and flip product we can use not only for one to four families, which have traditionally been residential properties, we also do multifamily and mixed use properties. So if it's five plus units, um, we've seen that more and more lately. The, you know, the apartment market's on fire. Apartments are very expensive. Cap rates are very low. So to just buy an existing apartment building is is not realistic for a lot of people. So yeah. they want to use this product, buy a 10-unit property that's, that's you know dilapidated or whatever the case is and fix it up. So um, we've been seeing a lot of interest uh, in that. So yeah, the, the multifamily mixed use and then obviously your traditional you know one to four family. How about commercial stuff. use? We're not big on commercial use. So we'll do mixed use, which is we want to see that the commercial component of the property is usually like 50% or lower. Mm-hmm. If it's more than that, um, it's just not, it, it's, it's not for us. It's just, a, it's a different, if it's a yeah. different animal. Yeah, the commercial industry is a whole different animal. Yeah. It's tough because everything's so unique. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you can you can get your arms around a residential property, right? Because as we're looking at it, I mean, you know, we always want to think about worst-case scenario. If something went wrong and you had to kind of jump in and get involved in a, in, a, in a project, and it's pretty straightforward if you know what a rent, you know, rental income is. But commercial properties, I mean, it could be an office building. It could be a strip mall. It could be all these different things. Yeah. So you got to be a real niche kind of, you know, player to understand that. Yeah. And uh, just not our space per se. And commercial can have a longer vacancy rate yeah, good point. than yeah, really residential. Good point. Right. So it's, it's specific or you have to, you know, it was, it was, you know, kind of fitted for one type of business. And now in order to get somebody else, you have to retrofit and do this yeah. whole build out. You know, I mean, Anthony, really, you, you know about that. I mean, yeah, yeah. the commercial space, I, I dabbled into a couple deals in commercial and I absolutely hated it. It was, it's so much easier in my, in my eyes to find a home for someone. Someone wants to live in Seagirt. It's like, here's the homes for Seagirt. They're like, <laughs> I like this home, yeah. bid on it, done. With commercial, it's, all right, well, what type of demographic is in the area? Does that strip mall fit me? Traffic it's, counts and traffic. access and signage. And it's like, it, it just gets much more much more complicated. Uh, I mean, drive by your local shopping center. The broker who's leasing that shopping center, their sign is not temporary. It's permanently in the ground. It is. There's always vacancy, right? Yeah. Um, so it, just, it really is just a different animal. And, and like Christian alluded to, a lot of these one-off buildings, it might be like a single freestanding building that was built for a, a specific user. And, you know, for it to be, to be, to find another owner user for that property, can sometimes be a challenge so um, it's yeah. just not really our space in that regard um, yeah. you know we like you know like you, you, you said okay a house in Seagirt there's 30 comps over the last you know year that you could that you could reference and, and get an idea and get your arms around the deal where not always the case with, with the commercial stuff yeah the commercial stuff is it's it's unique for people that want to dabble in it, and you could have it Anthony yeah. I, I don't <laughs> I don't want any part of it yeah um, so what type of experience do you guys look for in like your first time uh, investor that's coming to talk to you. I know with, like I said, HGTV, DIY, all these, everybody thinks that they can flip, and I don't know how they get their numbers on, on TV because these numbers, <laughs> they seem like they're missing a lot. But they're everyone, all gross numbers, right? Yeah, everyone thinks that they're going to get a home run. So do you have any kind of like a criteria that you, you ask people just to vet them a little bit besides their credit? Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, we initially with every borrower, it's it's running a credit and, and background check. I mean, background. We want to make sure that there's no felonies or anything. You know, major judgments or things like that against people. The credit from the credit standpoint, we're pretty lenient there. I mean, we're we're typically underwriting like a 600 credit score or better is what we're looking at for pretty much everybody. Uh, lower than that, we'll do case by case. But you know, we feel like that's pretty 
pretty lenient. Yeah, that um, is. In terms of the you know the experience, so I mean we will deal with investors who've never done a flip before, but typically, you know, we're going to want to see the down payment is usually more like 20% instead of the 15 or 10% that we might do for a more experienced investor. You know, I would say the big thing is, uh, is the, is the contractor who's involved. I mean, that's the biggest piece of the component. So, I mean, this goes for everybody, but really on the first time investors, we want to make sure that they have a contractor who's licensed and short, um, you know, and really review that scope of work to make sure it makes sense. You know, like to, you know, like you're saying, you talk about HGTV, you know, making sure that, you know, if some has a budget for siding and they're ripping down old siding and putting up new vinyl and it says the cost is two thousand dollars you know we want to just like <laughs> yeah. question that and make sure it makes sense um but i think that you know our underwriting process is meant to obviously protect us in terms of what we're lending, but I think it's a, it's really meant to make sure that that investor is is getting you know is doing a good project as well. And so, like for example, you know when we do an appraisal, we're looking at the appraiser's valuing the property off what it's worth now and then what it will be worth when it's done. And our underwriting process is we're looking at what they're buying it for, what the work is, and then what the as repaired value is. So by default. That kind of, as long as we feel comfortable with the project, those valuations are going to help determine whether or not this is a good project. And quite honestly, a lot of times, you know, and newer investors will get frustrated with this, but our appraisal will come back and, you know, they think the repaired value is 250 and our appraiser comes back at, you know, 200, 210 or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, point of contention. People get get upset about that, but I think when they, it's, I think a lot of it just stems from they want to do a deal really bad and they yeah. want to believe in it and everything. And you know, our appraisers, you know, the appraisers we use are vetted appraisers that know fix and flip, so they know how to look at a scope of work and say what is this property going to be worth. And you know, like you know, Anthony says this a lot. I mean, the best deal is sometimes a deal that you didn't do. You know, just that's like that's that's what we don't want to have happen. The last thing we want is people to get involved in a project and have it be a bad experience. We want it to be a good project that people are going to make money on, be happy, and hopefully do it again. Yeah. Now, what does a typical uh, transaction look like? So I'm coming to you. I'm brand new. Um, like, I'm saying, hey, I, I found a house. How do I move forward? So what, what does that, that process look like coming at you? Yeah, so... Um you know, once you actually have a deal, we'll, we'll take an application. We have a fairly simple, straightforward application they submit right on the website. Uh, at that point, as Christian said before, we'll do a credit and background check. If everything looks good, you know, we'll, we'll get the green light and we'll move forward pretty quickly. So the most important document for us is that scope of work. And that's really where we add a lot of value being that we've done so many flips and, and new construction. We can look at your scope of work and if you're trying to do whatever you're trying to do for 100 bucks a foot, and we know it should be more like 140, 150, or just, you know, just to pick numbers, yeah. we'll definitely consult with you and say, why is this this? Okay, you're the contractor. You could do it a little cheaper. That makes sense. Or maybe sure. we'll have you you know, beef it up. And like Christian said, I don't know how many other lenders would tell you this, but we've talked people out of deals. Like, this is not a good deal for you, and here's why. Like, there's a deal we passed on here at the shore, um, and actually in, in Christianstown, and we, we we watched the deal now, and um, it hasn't sold yet, but we passed on, <laughs> on we passed on it because we knew it wasn't a good deal, and we, we told the borrower that. And so, um, like Christian said, we don't want to put you in a bad deal. So, um, we'll take a look at your scope of work. At that point, we'll order an so let's just talk, back it up, the yeah. scope of work, because there's going to be people that are going to go, what's this scope of work? What is the work? scope of work? Right? Yeah, like what is that? What, is, what does that entail? What, what do you need? Uh, how does it get, how is it broken down? Yeah, so it's a pretty simple document, but it's very important. So it's it's basically a detailed and itemized list of all the repairs you're going to do on the property. 
And, you know, we try to avoid having a scope of work that says kitchen, you know, $12,500. Because <laughs> you get those sometimes, yeah. especially from newer investors. And we'll explain why that's bad, especially when it comes to dispersing money for the construction. You know, the more detailed it is, the better. And also, it's going to help your appraisal, too. If the appraiser can see very clearly what exactly you're doing each step of the way, um, it's going to help you get a more accurate after repair value. So it's typically a one to two page document. Your contractor, if you're using a contractor, will typically put it together for you. And it's just a very detailed, itemized list. You know, so instead of kitchen, X dollars, it'll be, you know, cabinets, countertops, backsplash, flooring, whatever, all, you know, separately listed. And we have examples to, to help borrowers kind of put it together. All right. So would you suggest them uh, maybe bring pictures of what they're looking to do just to really bring it home or just having it written down is it's fine? Yeah, written down is, is totally fine. Um, if they're new and they want to send pictures and, and kind of help us explain what they're looking to do, that's great. But really just, just the actual document itself is what we're looking for. Uh-huh. And, and like Christian said, our appraisers, they're fix and flip appraisers. They know exactly – they do this all the time. So they can kind of – it really is a skill to be able to see what's on that piece of paper and then, you know – envision what, what it's going to be afterwards and, and do the uh, proper appraisal. So so now the appraisal happens after the scope of work, and this all happens before you close, sure. yep, of yep. course. So at this point, um, you've given them a proof of funds letter so mm-hmm. that they could put an offer on the place, yep. right? Yep. Yep. And that happens after, I guess, the credit and the application. Exactly, yeah. Now they now they go under contract. This is when you're doing your scope of work. You're sending out the appraiser. Yep. The appraiser is going to cost them money regardless, right? Yep. Whatever, five hundred bucks, yep. whatever it is. Yep. And um, so now after that appraisal, what, what what's and, the meeting like yeah, and, after and, that? And just to clarify the timeline there, I mean, if you submit an application at nine a.m. There's times where we'll pull your credit by 9.10, and by 9.15, you have your proof of funds. I mean, because we understand that we have to be nimble and work quickly because in this business, I mean, you have to go quick. So yeah. so we do that. Um, if you have a deal already teed up, maybe you're on – sometimes borrowers will submit the application after they're already under contract if they know they're you know either already pre-approved or they've done work with us before. Um, so they might just send the application with the scope of work, in which case we're ordering an appraisal you know, within the half hour. And, yeah. uh and no. how fast do they come out? I mean, I'm sure they work pretty quickly yeah, we, for for you. Usually, yeah. like I would say, five to seven days is the turn yeah. time between when you order the appraisal and when we actually get it get back. It back. Uh, and that's you know probably the most lengthy part of the process, but the most important part of the part of the process. Um, you know, I would also just recommend just to take a step back for any newer investors is you know. Set, apply on our website and have us do the credit and background check even before you've located a property. Yeah. Like, make sure we want to make sure that we're comfortable lending to you as a borrower. Once that's out of the way, then it just becomes more about the project, you know. And then investors, you know, newer investors especially, will call us up and say, "Hey, they'll send me a Zillow link or something online or something from their agent saying, hey, look, I think I could buy it here. I'm looking to put this much into it. I think the ARV is this.' You know, we'll do a sanity check, and, and we have some." some um, matrix that we run internally where what we'll do is we'll look up specific zip codes that'll kind of give us a little bit of intel on that market. So we want to know about that area where, you know, what are the, and we update this monthly is we, we, you know, pull in analytics to show what is the average days on market in that zip code? What's the home appreciation index for that market? Think what's the median home price sell for? Just to give you a quick example, you know, we may have somebody where, I don't know, let's just take 
you know, Howell, for instance, you know, what does the average home sell for in Howell? Three, four hundred thousand, maybe, yeah. just to take a take a take a guess. And they think that they're doing this project, and the as repaired value on this house is going to be eight hundred thousand. <laughs> Could be the case. Yeah, maybe in that one neighborhood. Yeah. But it's an outlier. You know yeah. what I mean? So, and and it doesn't mean that we're not going to do it, but we might be a little bit more conservative in our approach. We might just say, you know, we might haircut our leverage a little bit. Um, same thing goes for days on market. You know, we want to look in, in a, a big indicator for us is. 150 days or less is what we consider a stable or you know strong market. If it takes the average home to sell, you know, to sell more than 150 days in that zip code, that's concerning. You know yeah. what I mean? That's five months. It takes the average home five months. So some of these things we do, it's obviously for our internal kind of you know understanding, but we share it with our investors too to make sure, like, just want to make sure you're aware of this. Like, are you factoring in the fact that it may take you? You know, you think you're going to put this on the market and sell right away. This is kind of a soft market. It may take you a little bit longer to to. Sell Sell that property, um, but anyway. But getting back to the uh, you know the appraisal process, that's you know. So we do the initial review, we issue a proof of funds. When we order the appraisal, we're also issuing a conditions list that kind of tells the borrower exactly what we need. And it's maybe seven or eight documents. It's insurance for the property, title work, contractor's license, insurance, scope of work. We do usually want to see a bank statement that shows that they have the liquidity for the down payment. And that's kind of it, you know. Yeah. So when that appraisal is coming back. Hopefully, in the meantime, the borrower's gotten us the other remaining documents. At that point, it goes to our committee. It's you know our man managing partners internally are reviewing the deal, making sure it makes sense. And if everybody's done their work up front, it's usually more of a rubber stamp, you know, kind of kind of process. And then it moves to our closing department. Um, we have specific attorneys that draft the docs and work with you know the attorney or title company that's doing the settlement for the borrower. Yeah. Um, you know, and we try to do these loans start to finish in you know two to two to three weeks is, yeah, is really pretty the goal. fast. Yeah, yeah. And, and just keep in mind, I mean, that's that's for normal circumstances, right? If you get a 30-day contract, that's plenty enough time for us to do our thing and get you funded fairly quickly. We've done loans start to finish much quicker than that if there's extenuating circumstances or if we need an appraisal back quicker, we can certainly make it happen in, in some cases. So um, we can be flexible because we understand that, you know, sometimes these deals come up quick and they got to move fast and yeah. try to accommodate them. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, value added with everybody, you know, kind of being in the same range with rates and points and stuff like that. I mean, it's the... It's the timelines, you know, being able to execute and get things done. I mean, it's it, if your rate is a touch better than somebody else, but you can't get them to the finish line in appropriate time. I mean, these borrowers need to go in almost as if they're cash buyers. You know, they need to be able to buy these properties as is. They need to go in with very few or no contingencies because that's just that's the value that they're bringing. That's the that's the, that's why they're gonna the seller's gonna sell them the property as opposed exactly. to somebody else. So. Now what happens after it hits committee and you find that these numbers are off? I'm sure that happens. Yeah, I would say, though, it very rarely happens that late in the, in yeah. the game. Uh -huh. Numbers can definitely be off, but usually that appraisal coming back is the biggest indicator. That's going to tell the whole story right right then and there. You yeah. know what I mean? If the as-repaired value is not there or up front when we're looking at a scope of work, you know, kind of making sure that, that, it, that it all lines up. So that very rarely, uh, very rarely happens that late in the game with us. And to the extent there is an issue with an appraisal, we'll look at it and you know we'll put our investor hats on and say, do we agree with the after repaired value? And sometimes we'll we'll dispute the value and maybe we'll get get sure. it to be a little bit higher because there was a few comps the appraiser didn't use and uh, yeah, no doubt. and we'll adjust it that way. Or maybe maybe the buyer is just paying a little bit too much for the property and we actually agree with the appraiser. And so sometimes maybe they'll try to get a little bit of a discount on the purchase price or they'll they'll refine their scope of work to maybe not do quite as an extensive a renovation but still get close to that number. And so there's a few options at that point. Um, but 
But, you know, the one thing is, especially new investors, sometimes they want to fight the lender on, like, well, you know, I still want to do this deal. Like, this is where we push back because we're looking out for you. Like, this might not be a good deal in some cases. Yeah. Um, normally, we do enough homework up front where before we even order appraisal, you know, I'm reviewing comps and everything like that to, to say, yeah, I think this is going to be reasonable. So the, the, the amount of times that an appraisal comes back totally screwed up is, is pretty rare because um, we try to do a lot of that initially off the bat to, to avoid those situations. But, but sure, it does happen from time to time. Now, what type of uh, success rate do you normally see within your investors? Um, it's hard to define. I mean, what success for one person might be different than well, another. I'm not saying like home run wise, but at least you know that they closed. You were able to close the deal, and you didn't have to take back the property. Just saying. oh yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we fall out. We like, actually have very. I mean, we've been you know knock on wood. We've been very fortunate. Um, we've had very few default uh, situations. Um, you know, our our average loan is usually a one year term. We've definitely seen maybe more extensions recently. People, you know, hitting that twelve month mark and not yeah. being out of the out of the project yet. Um, and I think that stems from investors have a lot of projects going on. You know what I mean? Maybe some properties sit a little bit. That definitely happens. Or new investors just not understanding maybe permit process and things like that. You know, and how long that could take. So we've seen that um, creep up a little bit. But but generally speaking, we've been very fortunate in terms of uh, defaults, and we have yet to date really. Haven't had to take back, I don't think, any properties where, you know, we weren't able to get out from underneath of it. Yeah, one one thing I think that shows is, because we are among the most aggressive lenders in terms of leverage. We are among the most aggressive in terms of of rates. But we're also among the the best lenders in terms of having basically no no default. And I think that speaks to our experience as far as uh, being investors ourselves and that we're putting our borrowers in the best situation. Because I think one of the most dangerous things, especially new investors can do, is just just who's going to give me the most leverage? Um, you're asking the wrong questions in that case, right? Because yeah. we're all pretty close. I mean, I, I think we're, we're generally among the more competitive, but there's a lot more behind that, as you talked about in the beginning of the show. What else can this lender do for me? And I think that's kind of where, you know, look, look at our track record in that regard. I think that's where we provide a lot of value. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of people, they look, you know, especially when they're asking, they're calling around. Well, how much down payment do I need? Are you are you ninety ten? Are you yeah? Oh, you're eighty twenty. How much rental are you gonna get? Like everyone's just looking like, how much can you give me? without me having to come out of pocket at all, if any. Yeah, and we have to yeah. guard against that, you know, to a certain extent because, I mean, we're seeing how competitive, you know, there's a lot of people in the space, a lot more people doing it, and like Anthony said, asking the wrong questions. I mean, you know, there are lenders out there that are doing 100% financing to investors, and to us, that's just such a scary concept. Yeah. You know, it's so easy for, if things don't go right for you, just to kind of up and We, we don't want to be those away. guys. Yeah, we don't, yeah, don't want to be that lender. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would imagine like, you know, a longer relationship if a guy has three, four projects and maybe he needs a 90, you know, definitely. 10% down payment on a project. That's that's a definitely, different story. You, yeah. you have we've the relationship. Their, and we've seen their track record and we, we refer to, we use the term round trip, you know, somebody doing a deal all the way through, you know, start, they've bought it, they've, they've done the work and they've executed in closing. Even if you've done that just one time. That really increases your, in our opinion, you know, how we look at you as a borrower, but also your ability to probably do it again. You know, that's the hardest thing is getting that first deal done and, and, and through the through the process. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what type of close, well, before we, yeah, let's go to, so we're going to go to closing. What type of closing costs um, are typically involved in a uh, in a hard money loan situation? Sure. 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, I'll leave aside your standard closing costs, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll just to kind of go through that. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to get a title insurance policy just like you would on a regular loan. You're going to use either a settlement agent or an attorney to do the closing for you. You're going to have recording fees from the county. Um, so, all that stuff is, is pretty standard. You've paid for an appraisal. In terms of the actual cost of the hard money loan, you know, we the way we make our money, and again, these are, keep in mind, these are short-term loans. These are one-year loans. So, it's not like we're amortizing this loan and making money over the next 30 years by servicing it. So you know, typically it's two to three points get charged at closing for the amount of money that you borrow. Uh, we typically charge a 995 commitment fee at closing. Uh, and then we do have a bank attorney that represents us to orchestrate the closing. They're preparing our documents because they're very specific. You know, they have to review everything regarding the LLC, make sure we get our personal guarantees signed and everything. So they're, it's it's really kind of more like a commercial transaction in terms of they're our bank attorney representing us. The fee that they charge is, is usually a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars, depending on the complexity of the of the deal. Yeah, and I'm sure it's pretty similar among. All situation, you know, investment situations like this, that the, the fees are all close. It, it is, and it, and it honestly all comes out in the wash. Like you know, one thing we've definitely seen, and, and things that you know people should be be careful of is, you know, we're seeing people maybe starting to advertise no point loans, but at the same time, you know, now they're jacking the interest rate up a lot. So. Investors need to make their money one way or another. It's just kind of how you how you structure those things, and, and we're willing to be flexible in the in the same way too. And 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 it's you know some people it's those points paid at closing is more of a concern because it's the cash out of pocket that they're concerned with, and they're okay with the higher interest rate and dealing with the monthly payment. So yeah. you know those are things that we kind of look at case by case with each borrower. And let's talk about now the monthly payment because there's now holding costs. Mm-hmm. You bought the property. Now you have. A monthly payment that is interest. Interest only. Interest yep. only. You have your taxes, your sewer, mm-hmm. um, your utilities. So there, there's all these other monthly costs sure. that need to be put into the equation, especially yep. if days on market yep. go over 150 mm-hmm. days. One thing Christian always talks about, and he mentioned before, the three you know components you got to think about is um, you know your the, the most important. I think that's uh, that's people forget about is how long is it going to take you to finish this project? And that's the aspect that most new investors, I think, don't think about, right? Um, Everyone thinks they're going to flip their house in two months. Not really realistic. Even if you flipped your house immediately, by the time you actually close, it might be longer than that. So having an idea of your timeline is super important because like you said, the the, the, um, the holding costs are you know just accruing as uh, as your property sits. So it's, it's an important factor to keep in mind. Who pays the, the, the taxes typically? Is that a part of your yeah, payment? So we, we don't escrow for we don't escrow for taxes. We typically require the insurance policy to be paid in full for a year. And the main thing there is just because these are construction projects, we want to make sure, one, that they have the appropriate coverage. There has to be a builder's risk you know component or coverage in the policy. So we just, that's one thing we want to make sure that that's <laughs> yeah. covered. Um, you, don't, you don't want the house to burn down the, don't want, the no, moment that's, you close. That's not good for anybody. Yeah. Uh, but the insur- but the taxes, you know, they're in New Jersey. They're paid quarterly. We usually collect, you know, any quarter that's coming up within 60 days of closing, we collect at closing. Other than that, we don't require it. And honestly, you know, I, I would say a lot of investors probably let, you know, may let a quarter go or whatever yeah. and then just, just square it up. Kind of sell square it up, up at, uh, yeah. at closing. So, yeah. um, you know, which is, you know, which is fine. But it's still, these are all like the little costs that I think a lot of people don't put into their head. They just see 
a house, how much they could buy it for, what they think Reno is, and okay, I can make this much money. Sure. And that that might take you eight months. Yeah, you you just you hit it perfectly. Is is I would say our average payoff is probably eight to nine months. And I guarantee you, most investors, if you ask them straight up day one, how long you think this is going to take you? I mean, everybody says under six months. Yeah, you know, there's no way. But you break it down. I mean, you know, work takes you two to three months. You list it for thirty days. Hopefully, you get an offer. And then if everything goes right, it's still going to take the average end buyer sixty days to close. You throw in a home inspection issue. You throw in somebody not getting financing, having to put it back on the market, or dealing with permits or longer, you know, construction timelines, or if it sits a little bit, you know, you have to factor that all in. So you definitely want to, you know, our advice to especially newer investors is stress test your deal. What happens? You know what I mean? If the market comes in five percent, ten percent, if it takes me a year, if my cost of constructions go over this percent, do worst case scenario in yeah. all of those categories. And are you at least getting out breaking even if, you know, if something catastrophic happens? And I think that's a really smart thing for investors to do. Yeah, by the way, I just want to plug on our website, fefunding.com. We built a calculator just for that, and it, it factors in your holding costs. So you could put in how long is it going to take you to finish the project? Three oh, months, six excellent. months, nine yeah. months, 12 months. Put your rate, your points, your after repaired value. It'll give you all your return metrics, you know, your, your return on investment, your internal rate of return, equity, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then you can just change each, you know, each individual uh, component and how many months is it going to take you to finish the project and see how it's going to affect your profitability because you don't realize, I mean, at six months, it's a home run. At 12 months, you're breaking even, you know, so it, it could change that quickly. So it's important to keep those And then if you need an extension, how do extensions work? Because that yeah. people do fall into that category. Yeah, we definitely, we, we list them, you know, in the closing package. It specifically states what the extension terms are. It's usually we'll do a three-month extension. There may be a fee that we charge to do that. It may be a point to extend for three months. But for our repeat clients, our biggest thing is we just want to make sure that that a project is moving along. If we see we're at the 12-month mark, they've done all their construction draws, properties on the market, it's just taking a little bit longer to sell, we're going to probably be a little bit more flexible with that borrower than somebody who, you know, now we're nine, 10 months in and they've only dispersed, you know, they've only done one of three construction draws. It's like, what's going on here? You know yeah. what I mean? And that those are the ones that, that concern us. But, you know, as long as there's logical explanation of what's going on, you know, we're, we're really, we're not trying to hurt people. We're trying to work with them, but yeah. it, it comes up. And, and, you know, the other thing is we look at payments, right? Like we want to make sure are these borrowers paying their payments on time. You know, sometimes it's people think it's going to close. They haven't paid for two or three months. You know, that, that's not, not a good scenario, and we're probably going to be, you know, a little bit less able to kind of work with you on some things. So. Sure. So I, I know you gave a, a little bit of advice just before for new flippers and investors, but uh, what, what other type of advice do you have for someone that's looking at HGTV right now? They're, they're gung-ho. They're, I'm going to go out there and, and find a flip, and, um, like, I'm coming to you now and saying, give me money. Sure. I mean, one thing I would say is, you start with start with an agent that knows what knows what they're doing. You know what I mean? If you're if you're looking at properties, it's it's unbelievable to me. And and a lot of it, some agents have gotten better, and there's some agents that are that are excellent. I mean, a lot of the flips that I've done have been through agents that really they get it. They understand where we need to buy it. They kind of have a general idea of cost of construction and, and understand resale value, but. A lot of agents don't, you know what yeah. I mean? And they just they, they just don't understand the concept of, you know, buying it here, putting this much into it and resale. So that, that's really important. 
also just waiting, you know, don't be over anxious just to get a deal done. You know what I mean? Make sure that you're, like I said, stress testing these deals that, that you kind of know you, you really thought it out uh, and be and be patient. Um, and probably the biggest thing is just, you know, people have to get comfortable probably looking in other areas to get deals. I mean, if they're just going on the multiple listing to find a, a project, they're out there. But they're hard. It's hard to find because everybody's looking in the same spot. So yeah. whether it's buying at sheriff sale or buying through auction sites or focusing on neighborhoods and doing off-market deals. I mean, we have some investors that will, you know, send out postcards and canvas neighborhoods or have all different kinds of wacky ways to find problems, but you know, find properties. But you, you got to get you got to get creative, um, you know, in order to find deals because it's it's competitive out there. It's really hard to find find good deals. But we see it's funny. There's some people that will call us up and they just they've been at it for a year. They can't find a deal and then this person over here has more deals than he knows what to do with it's just amazing how it can vary yeah uh, one thing also I'd add is, um, especially for new investors, maybe just avoid chasing a low price cheap deals. Um, just because you can buy the property for forty thousand dollars and you're going to put a hundred thousand into it, and you, th- those just seem to be the ones where everything goes wrong. Um, you know, go for your bread and butter, three bedroom, two bathroom range for your first deal. I think you're better off that way um, than chasing the low price deals. Yeah, that, the low price deals are always the most uh, appealing when you're. Well, it's, it's cash. Yeah, you're you looking at I mean? the MLS, yeah. you're thinking about your down payment, yep. and that's probably something that, that people think about. They go, well, I have Absolutely. 20% and closing costs for this much, yeah. and that leads me into a purchase price of this much of a house. Yeah, and that's where somebody might be better off taking in an equity partner, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're going to form a new LLC anyway, you know, if you have somebody where, and we see that combination work out well, you know, somebody's maybe more of the, the money backer and the other person maybe more of the boots on the ground or the, you know, the actual person swinging a hammer. I mean, that's a nice combination really. Sure. Cause then, you know, then you got somebody to, to rely on if things take a little bit longer to help you, you know, with making the payments and managing the deal and then, you know, get one done that way. Even if you leave a little bit of money on the table, you know what I mean? It's, it's really important to get you know, one through the full full life cycle, and then you know maybe you make some money, and then you can do the next one maybe on your own. Yeah, and I think that's another thing for new investors. Don't worry so much about how much money you're leaving on the table your first time. You got to get into a deal. You yeah. got to get into a deal. You have to get into a renovation. So many people sure. don't even get in, like have never done a renovation. Maybe yeah. some of them haven't even bought a home. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, you just heard point. from you just heard from a lender how how important it is that you've done a deal round trip, right? Yeah. So if even if you even if you made half of what you thought you were going to make because you brought on a partner, but you got it done, that goes a real long way in our eyes. You're hearing it from the horse's mouth yeah. now that that's that's important. So um, yeah. that's a good that's a good option. Definitely, I I know some people that I've shown homes to that they ha- they're looking at investment homes before they bought their own home. Yeah. So. They, they haven't been through the process yet, and I think it's very overwhelming for them because they ha- they've never experienced any part of the process. Right. And um, I think that also goes for agents, too. There's some agents that never bought a home, so I think mm-hmm. they don't know the process as well. So I always say interview, 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 build a team, contractor, real estate agent, it's attorney, sport, yeah. you know, your, your lender. Get everybody together early so then you know when you need to move. It's... Yeah. You just go. Yeah, no doubt. Because if you, you know, what I've seen through my experiences, I mean, and, and some, you know, realtors will, will bring tremendous value. I mean, I'll talk about just a quick personal experience is at a deal locally in, in Point Pleasant that we did. And the only reason we went out on this property, went out and actually got the, the property is because we were willing to pay more than everybody else because we had a different vision of what the finished project was going to be. And this was a house that was a, it was a four bedroom 
um, two bath house, and we were able the the bedroom on the second floor where the where the um, sorry the bathroom where the bedrooms were, we were able to cut it in half, make a master suite, and then have that hall bath for the other other bedrooms, and then we were able to make like an in law suite downstairs. So just through some creative things that we did, really added more value, and sure. just, just looking at things because you know one thing I would say is if you're buying a you know a three bedroom two bath ranch, and you're going to go in and you're going to do paint, new hardwood floors, kitchen baths. That's what every investor is going to do. So yeah. it's going to be like, and I think I said this to you earlier offline, was like you got to be almost concerned if you're the highest bidder on a on a property like that. Like, what did you miss or or, or what have you? Um, but just getting creative, thinking outside the box, like taking a Cape Cod style house, dormering out the upstairs, making livable space out of an attic. You know, think things like that is really yeah. what I think investors, new or experienced, I think those are things people need to be looking at in this market. Yeah, not just paint, trim, kitchen. I mean, that's just the, the more basic. It's great them. if you could do it. But, yeah, you know, but, but I don't think it's typical any longer. No, right. because there's so so much competition out there. Yeah, um, and like you said, if if you're seeing it on the MLS, everybody else is their eyes are on it the same time as you. Yeah, I mean, I've been on the the end of you know being outbid by <laughs> you know few bucks. Because so many of these online sites are now taking care of the bidding process. Yeah, yeah. So you don't even get feedback. You just you post and you walk away. Yeah. And then you, exactly. find, then you yeah, find out when it closes exactly. that you didn't get it. Yep. That they got it for like two grand more. And you're like, yeah, that, which is frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I would have paid the two grand more every <laughs> every day. But you know that it's it's a part of the business. Um, awesome, guys. Well, I appreciate all the information. I'm going to get a little bit uh, more information. Uh, I want to learn a little more about both of you. Uh, so, what is your favorite book? My favorite book? Do you read? Uh, not well. I have three. Uh, I have three young kids um, that. Uh, so I haven't read as much lately. But uh, the Tipping Point is a is a book that I've I've read recently. It's probably yeah. one that I, that I've read that I thought was a really uh, really cool cool kind of book. And you know, just really you know that that point in which something really kind of has like that multiplier effect to really make it make a difference on things. I think is is, is cool. Awesome. How about you? Not very original, but rich dad, poor dad. That's the that's the that's financial it. bible. So yeah, definitely. How about uh, what's your favorite movie? Huh. Anthony and I are both somewhat movie buffs. We try to uh, beat each other out with uh, with, with different lines and references. So <laughs> I, uh, a little tidbit about me: I grew up in a video store. So my uh, oh, no my, kidding. my parents owned uh, multiple video stores in like the brick uh, Tom's River area. So you know, and I guess it was in like be the, kind, the, rewind. The, the, yeah, I mean, we had uh, to really date myself. We had a, a VHS and a Beta section. Uh, oh to, my god, to go back that far. But uh, so all the you know the '80s movies. I mean, I know Inside and Out. I mean all the the classic comedy movies and stuff, but uh, but you know The Godfather, Goodfellas, yes. Shawshank. Yeah, those are my uh, those are my. Anytime favorites. they're on, you can watch it again. You just and lose again. your you yeah. lose your whole day, right? <laughs> if those come on. Yeah. How about you? Uh, it depends on the day, but it's either Braveheart or Goodfellas. I go back and yeah. forth. One of those two. I'll tell you, my wife, I I love all those. I mean, all those uh, mafia type movies. But now, my little guy, he comes around and I'm watching like Donnie Brasco or something, and she's like, "Get that <laughs> off! Get <laughs> He's bad enough as it is." Don't start quoting that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Little Luciano's a fucking nut job. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite food? Uh, favorite food is, I mean, I'm Italian upbringing, so pasta. As much as I, I try to avoid it and save it for special occasions, but yeah, yeah. I mean, my my Sunday dinners are, are are big in my family. Yeah, that's awesome. Chicken wings, hands down. Chicken wings, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> for an Italian, that's a yeah. Put a little sauce on there. 
That's right. <laughs> What's, so what is some great advice um, either someone has given you or you could give uh, anybody out there? Yeah, just uh, not to give up. You know, don't don't get frustrated. You know, by the by the process. I mean, things aren't things aren't always easy. You know, you try to accomplish something. You know, take things in from people, learn from people who've who've gone through it and, and have the experience. Uh, you know, try to take that that to heart. But you know, don't don't get frustrated. Don't be afraid to give up on anything that you're doing. How about you? Um, I'm a big uh, Grant Cardone guy. I was down at the 10X conference, and one of the themes was just taking massive action. You know, people who dabble in things either aren't successful or get crushed, especially in this business. You got to take massive action towards uh, towards what you want to do, whether that's finding deals or making connections. Um, so just whatever you're going to do, do it 110. percent Yeah, Grant Cardone is a nut job. He's nuts. Oh my God, the life he lives is unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> I. I, I I started following him, and then I, I think I got, like, over Grant Cardone, and then I, I had yeah. to unfollow him. And now I'm back following him. And he, I mean, He's a polarizing figure, to say the least, I guess. Yeah, right? definitely, definitely. I mean, there's some great figures out, you know, in, the, in that world, real estate world. You have someone like Grant Cardone, and then someone else I love is uh, Brian Buffini. I don't know. Yeah, so he, he's, uh, I guess, like, uh, he owns, like, a real estate coaching company. But also for mortgage companies, stuff like that. And he's from Ireland. He's an Italian guy from Ireland. But you see both ends of it. And everything, all the message is the same, you know, just coming coming out, you know, delivered differently. Yeah. But uh, Grant Cardone is awesome, man. So thank you so much again. Where can people find you? Where do you want people to look you up? One of you want to give it? Yeah, so um, fefunding.com is our, is our main website. Um, all of our contact info is listed on there. Um, you know, if you want to call me directly, 732-825-8095. And then what's the, what's the main line? Uh, the main number is 732-359-7800. But yeah, if you just type in First Equity Funding on any of the social media, on Instagram or on, on Facebook, you'll find all our Yeah, contact it comes right up. Too. And how about uh, for the Paramount Residential Mortgage Group? Yeah, so Paramount Residential Mortgage Group, PRMG, uh, the main number for, for that, if anybody has any more traditional conventional type loans, is 732-359-7801. And if you just hashtag PRMG Seagirt is the way to find kind of our local uh, our local branch on, uh, on social media. And you do renovation loans the whole nine yep, yards yeah, there? Yeah, 203K, the Streamline, the Full Ks, the Homestyle Renovation Loans, and then, you know, all the Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, USDA. Yeah, do so, all that stuff too. So, so. I mean, c- contacting you guys, you have a lot of options. Um, so, I mean, maybe from someone that's looking to buy a two-family, living it for a little bit and and flip it or going all into investment. You know? We have a product that'll, that'll fit. Yeah, you guys cover pretty much everything. We do, yeah. And we'll be the first to tell you if it's something that we don't do well, you know, we, we have great resources to, to refer out to. I mean, there's just certain things that fit a local community bank better than the products that we have. And yeah. you know, we'll be glad to, to make sure we point people in the right direction. But there's so many options here. So if anybody – well, what states do you lend in for – Hard money and for yeah. So PRMG is licensed in forty eight states. So okay. uh, and and the hard money, uh, I think it's forty states. What that about we're, forty we're states now? The, the handful that we don't want to roll out west. <clears throat> Anything eastern seaboard, all the way down to Florida, is no problem. So okay. Um, just assume we do and call us. Let us know if you have something out west. We'll let you know if we do or don't. But awesome. So. I guess it's all about the information they're giving you anyway. Sure. Yeah. You know, so you don't need to actually have boots on the ground 
and be in no, no, North have, Carolina. Have, yeah, for, like on the on the hard money side, we have we have attorneys that we use, and we have different attorneys we use locally, but we have national attorneys that know exactly our docs in terms of how to prepare everything and can do them in, in all the states we lend in. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks I appreciate you guys. Awesome. And I would like to thank everyone for listening to the show. My name is Mikey T. Michael Anthony Timpani, as my mama named me. You can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at First Timers Podcast Show. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at The Home Advisor Pro and follow my two companies at THS Home Advisors and FTJ Builders, Inc., celebrating 20 years this year. A link to all the websites can be found on our social sites. Please leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Share and subscribe to our weekly podcast. Message us with any questions or topics you would like to hear. And if you're a professional that could bring some value to the audience, please contact me. Together we can learn and grow. I like to end with a quote, and that is from Benjamin Franklin. An investment into knowledge always pays the best interest. God bless everybody and have an amazing week.